when I go to this passage, I just go straight to verse number 6. But I want us to begin with verse number 5 and then 6. So Hebrews chapter 11, and we'll look at verses 5 and 6. If you're not familiar with this um, portion of Scripture, we have in um, the opening part of Hebrews 11, one of the uh, quintessential definitions of faith is beautiful and thorough and brilliant. And then we basically have an unveiling of what so many heroes of faith accomplished in this life uh, because of faith, what they did because of faith. And so we see, beginning at verse number 5, by faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, verse number 6, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that God is and that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. From the scriptures, now when I say from the scriptures, there are other people that we know of who have been to heaven and who have come back. One of the more remarkable testimonies that I have heard uh, concerning you know, that type of experience is from uh, evangelist and prophet Jesse Duplantis. Uh, his trip to heaven is um, uh, amazing and what it reveals about that. But we only have a very small and rare group of people from the scriptures that have gone to heaven without dying first. And that would be Enoch and Elijah. Elijah, if you recall, was taken up in a chariot of fire. And the Bible says he was not. Now, what's the difference? There was no body to bury. His, he, he didn't just, his spirit and soul separate from his body, absent from the body, present with the Lord. In Elijah's case, um, he was caught up in a chariot of fire, spirit, soul, and body. And the same is true with Enoch. Enoch um, went missing. If, uh, if, if something like that happened today, it would be... Um, you know, some cold case, you know, people trying to figure out what happened to Enoch. You know, I can see it on, a, a, what's that show, 2020 or Dateline or whatever, you know. Um, there was no body to bury because God took Enoch, spirit, soul, and body. And when I say that's a rarefied group, um, Jesus died, was raised from the dead, and then he was taken up in his glorified body while his disciples stood watching. And in the scriptures we know that Paul went to the third heaven, but he returned, and he was not sure if his body made the trip or not. So we're talking about a very select group, at least as far as what the scripture has recorded, of the uh, billions upon billions of people who have ever lived on this planet, who, like Elijah and Enoch, have went straight to heaven did not pass the grave and did not collect $200, whatever you want to say. Amen. All right. I don't know where that came from. Pardon that expression. Okay. Now, 
So we could say that Enoch is a very special man. We, we don't have a lot about him in the scriptures. But I think the logical and assumed question that we have from verse 5 is something along these lines. In other words, what, what was it about Elijah that enabled him to please God so thoroughly? Or in the vein of what we've been talking about here lately, what did Enoch do that enabled him to please God so thoroughly? What was his secret? Can I get a copy of Enoch's day planner to see what his schedule and time management system looked like? How many times a month did Enoch fast? How much time did he spend in prayer? What were his study habits? Can we see his budget? Or better yet, a copy of his checkbook registry. What did Enoch do to please God in such an amazing way? Now, I'm sure that Enoch lived a devoted, godly, and disciplined life. I'm not questioning that at all. But according to the scriptures, it was his faith in God that pleased God. It was his faith in God that pleased God. As I mentioned, verse number 6 is a verse that we refer to frequently around here. But I often do that without first including chapter five, I'm sorry, verse number 5 in chapter 11, verse number 5, which is the verse we read and is on the screen now about Enoch. And we see that he pleased God, and that provides the context for this very important verse number 6. Enoch pleased God, and so how is it that he pleased God? What was it about Enoch that pleased God? Well, obviously, it was faith, because without faith, it's impossible to please him. Now, we have established over the course of many months here at Heritage from the Scriptures that God honors those who honor Him and there is no greater honor than trust. God honors those who honor Him and there is no greater honor than trust. And so I want to dig into this verse number 6 tonight. And before we go any further, let's, let's, uh, let's go back to it. Verse number 6. But without faith it's impossible to please Him, please God. For he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. One of the first things that I want to draw your attention to are, are the words impossible and must. Impossible and must. These are strong words. These are strong words. If the Bible says that it's impossible apart from, and then you whatever's in the, in the blank, then, then that's, that's not a suggestion. He's revealing something to you here that is not only extremely important, but something that is absolute. Impossible and must. There's all kinds of words that the Holy Spirit could have inspired the writer of Hebrews to use, but instead he specifically directed it to be written this way, using and including these two absolutes, impossible and must. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. He who comes to God must believe that he is and must believe that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. 
So when we say God honors those who honor Him and there's no greater honor than trust, trust is a form of or one way even to communicate this word faith, which is the Greek word pistis, which means to put your trust in, to have confidence in, to believe in. It's, it is a, uh, one of uh, many words that, I say many words, it's, it's really the same root word, but there's different um, ways that the word is conjugated and, and it means slightly different things. For instance, to believe is a derivative of the root pistis, um, and uh, the spelling is a little bit different, P-I-S-T-E-O-U, I believe, I'm not sure how to pronounce that. But this, this word translated in our English word believe, it, it means to uh, be firmly uh, persuaded, to be firmly persuaded. And, and of course that ties into Abraham, the Bible says he was fully persuaded, okay? And although there are similarities between firmly persuaded and fully persuaded, firmly persuaded means that you have been persuaded to the point of not being able to be moved. Amen. If you're, if you're firmly persuaded on something, then that means you can uh, continue to be persuaded even in the face of things that contradict what you say you've believed or what you say that you know it's this way or, or, or what have you. Amen. Now, I want to just take this verse, you know, unpack it, I guess, and look at it uh, phrase by phrase and, and, and truth by truth and concept by concept, okay? And what we see is that you cannot please God apart from trusting Him. You, you cannot please God apart from confidence in Him. And you cannot please God apart from believing Him. And to be clear, this passage is not, again, emphasizing for, you know, to make a, a point here. This passage is not simply saying, and I don't know, I, I've heard it this way incorrectly myself, you know, in other words, that de- derived an incorrect meaning or, or perspective on this. And so, to be clear, this passage is not simply saying that nothing pleases God more than our faith in Him. It's not saying nothing pleases God more than our faith in Him. This would imply there are lesser things that please Him, just not as much as faith. No, the Word of God is clear. Nothing, no matter how good, no matter how, how noble, pleases God apart from faith. I wanna make, I wanna make, I, we're going to say this a few different ways because we, we've got to see this, we've got to understand this. And again, this is heaven's perspective. This is the perspective that we need. Religion may not look at it this way. Denominations may not look at it this way. The world may not look at it this way. But this is how God looks at it. This is, this is the standard that He has established for us to understand about Him and His way of doing things, His way of operating, His way of interacting with us. And, and, and He wants us to understand, He wants to make it clear that you cannot please Him without faith. Apart from faith, nothing you do, no matter how good or how, or how noble or, or how many people commend you for it or how many people pat you on the back or how many gold stars are placed by your name, if it's, if it's apart from faith, meaning if, it, if it's not an expression of 
faith in your life, faith in God in your life, then it's not pleasing to God. Now, again, there's a tendency on our part to say, well, come on, Pastor Mark, you know, surely there are other things that please him. It may not please him as much as faith, but certainly this pleases him and that pleases him. No, if, if this and that, whatever this and that may be, is not an expression of faith, then it doesn't please God. No matter how good it may look or seem, how noble the effort may, may, may look or seem, if it's not an expression of your faith in God, it does not please God, and it will not please God. So again, this passage is, is saying more than, it's saying more than um, lesser things please Him, not as much as faith. So let's go back to the, the visual that the Holy Spirit gave us last week, okay? So we've rolled, we've done a bunch of rolling, you know, in the room. We've got everything, you know, all the middles rolled, all the easy stuff, all the low-hanging fruits already been picked, okay? Now, now we've got to get the brush out and do some cutting. And so we need a steady hand here. But we need to cut this in. Are you following what I'm saying here? We, we need, cutting it in means we need to dot every I, we need to cross every T, and we, and we need to see clearly what it is that God is saying to us in this passage because, again, it is an extremely export, important passage. So, steady hand, we're cutting in here. Obedience, giving, praying, sacrificing, zeal, also known as passionate, committed effort, serving others. Come on, Pastor Mark, surely these things please God. Maybe not as much as faith, but surely these things please God. If these things are in response to and are an expression of faith in God, then they are absolutely pleasing to God. If your obedience is an expression of and in response to your faith in God, then your obedience pleases God. If your giving is in response to your faith in God and is an expression of your faith in God, then man, it pleases God. Are you following me? But if your obedience and if you're giving and if you're sacrificing for others and if you're passionate, committed effort, we looked at it so many times already. I'm not going to turn back there tonight. Romans 10 and 3, what did the Holy Spirit say through Paul? They have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. These people were committed. These people were all in. They were so determined. They, they, were, so, they were working so hard. They were, they were, you know, spiritual disciplines. I mean, all this other stuff. But they were not submitted to the righteousness of God. It was all about self-effort. And it was not pleasing to God. It was self-righteousness. And the Bible says it was as filthy rags to Him. Stay with me now. It's, amen. We're, we're going somewhere. You still here? Got the right bunch tonight? All right. So these things, what things again? Obedience, giving, praying, sacrifice, serving others. The list could go on and on, right? These things in response to your faith in God as an expression of your faith in God are absolutely pleasing to God. But these things as a substitute for faith in God, or we could say apart from faith in God, are not pleasing to Him. And if you look very carefully and let the Holy Spirit show you these things apart from faith in God, obedience apart from faith in God, giving apart from faith in God, sacrificing apart from faith in God, zeal apart from faith in God, all of these things are efforts that fall into categories of pride, self-righteousness, religious boasting, 
self-promotion and gratification, and ultimately boil down to what we looked at last week, a form of godliness that ultimately denies the power of God. Things that people do apart from faith that they think will give them access to the power of God, it turns out, how ironic, it turns out that that form of godliness by default separates them from the power of God. Because, come on now, what enables the Spirit of God to work miracles among His people? Is it by performing spiritual disciplines and adhering to the standards of the law? Or is it by the hearing of faith? It's the hearing of faith, right? Galatians chapter 3. Now, let me try to get us, at least on this first part, down to a very important bottom line. Faith in God pleases God. And if you do not have faith in Him, nothing else you do will please Him. That's about as plain as the Holy Spirit's helped me be able to say it yet, okay? Faith in God pleases God. And if you do not have faith in Him, nothing else you do Again, no matter how good, no matter how noble, no matter how much you sacrifice, no matter how many zeros are behind the check that you write, it's not going to please Him. Let me, can I step away from this for just a second, okay? Let, let, let's go back to something we've said already in the past, months ago. All right? God honors those who honor Him, and nothing honors Him more than trust. For my children to say, Man, I sure do love you, Daddy, but I don't, I don't trust you. You can't trust a thing that he says. See, that's... Are you, are you understand what I'm saying here? The, the ultimate honor and respect that we have to give to another person and ultimately to God is, is our confidence in him, our trust in him. So I'm going to say this a couple of different ways because pistis here can include each of these different terminologies, but in the interest of... Just driving the point home. One more time. Faith in God pleases God. And if you do not have faith in Him, nothing else you do will please Him. In that same vein, trusting God pleases God. And if you do not trust Him, nothing else you do will please Him. In that same vein, confidence in God pleases God. And if you do not have confidence in God, nothing else you do will please Him. So this is what without faith or apart from faith it's impossible to please God actually means. This is what he's, this is what he's wanting us to understand. Okay? It is impossible to please Him without faith. It is impossible to please Him apart from faith. This is why, according to Romans 12, 3, God has given to every man the measure of faith. See, no one has an excuse, as, as the Bible says in Romans 1 and another context, but it's true where this is concerned as well. You say, well, that's not fair because I don't, I don't have any faith and that means I can't. No, no, God has given to every person the measure of faith. Meaning what? Meaning he has already placed within you what it takes to please him. And remember, faith has to be awakened. It has to be aroused. It, ha- it has to uh, have the word of God. Faith by hearing, hearing by the word of God. There are things that we can do that it's like a muscle. It's like a spiritual muscle. It's like a, it's like a, a spiritual sense, if you will. It can be sharpened. It can be strengthened. It can be developed. But without faith, it's impossible to please God. And if you don't have faith in Him, nothing else you do will please Him. That's, what, that's why it's worded the way it's worded. Without faith, it's impossible. Apart from faith is how some translations read. Apart from faith. In other words... Faith 
with good works pleases God, good works with no faith in God will never please Him. Are you seeing this? I'm not sure you're getting it. Do I need to stay with this a little longer? We got this. It's very, very important. We, we, this is, I think, what's missing with so many folks. This is why people who don't understand this, they get frustrated with God. They don't understand why God does what He does, why He allows what He allows, why He don't get involved, when we want Him to get involved and all sort of stuff. And God, we've been good. We came to church. We tried hard. She taught Sunday school for 30 years. Blah, blah, blah. See, all this, all this other stuff, you know. And, and all those things are good and noble, but if you do all that apart from faith in God, and you say, well, I know we've brought this on the table more than once, but I'm going to bring it on the table again. We see the same thing spelled out for us so definitively in 1 Corinthians 13 where love is concerned, where he talks about sacrificing all the way to the point of your body being burned, but if you have not love. See, that tells us right there that people do all kinds of good and noble things, or at least things that appear to be good and noble, with ulterior motives. They do things out of pride and out of self-righteousness and out of, you know, what other people think and say about them. You know, remember what Jesus said? He said, I, I don't receive glory from men. He said, how, 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 I'm not going to play this game where all y'all are about is giving glory to one another and could care less about the glory that comes from God. And, that, and that's, that's what happens with, with a lot of these things that where love is concerned, where you know, so-called good and noble spiritual disciplines, Christian disciplines, faith principles, all this other stuff is concerned. It's just all about getting you know, pats on the back from, from other people. And it's all done apart from faith in God. And God is not pleased with that. God is not pleased with that. See, we, we talked about this a little bit last week with the Syrophoenician woman, the Syrian woman, and the, and the centurion. You know, it chaps a lot of people's hides that these folks, you know, never got a gold star in Sunday school. They, they, they you know, I, I, I'm, I'm assuming they never committed a single Bible verse to memory. I mean, all these other things. And yet they had the greatest faith. And, and we think about, you know, all that we bring to the table that should earn our favor. And we remember we said last week, it's, don't focus on what, they, on, on what they brought to the table, but what they didn't bring. What they didn't bring to the table. Because, right, it was all about their humility. It was all about, you don't owe us anything, God. But if you'd help us, we sure would appreciate it because we believe you can and that you want to. Now, the next part of this verse says, For he who comes to God. So let's go back. I should have probably just separated this verse out for the sake of the study, but. Let's go back to it. So without faith, it's impossible to please Him. I hope you have at least a better understanding of what this actually means and is saying. But then there's a comma, and it, and it continues the thought, For he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is. And the must continues. Both are musts. Number one, must believe that He is. Number two, must believe that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Okay? Now... So let's focus then on the phrase in this verse that says, for he who comes to God. Because what we see in Scripture is that there is a right way and there is a wrong way to come to God. You, you hear people sometimes say, you know, I, I worship God in my own way. That's the epitome of arrogance. See, we think we're being humble. Well, you know, I just, I just worship God in my own way. Who do you think you are? 
It's not, it's, God has told us the acceptable way to worship Him in spirit and in truth. He has told us the acceptable way to worship Him, playing skillfully on instruments, lifting our voices, shouting, raising our hands, dancing, exuberant expressions of worship. Amen. So we need understanding on how to come to God because there is a right way to come and there is a wrong way to come. And there are many examples in the Scriptures, Old Testament and New Testament, of both. People who came correctly and people who came to God incorrectly. Now, I don't know if we will have time to get there tonight, but the next two phrases spell out for you and me the correct way to come. Those who come to God, he who comes to God, must believe that God is, must believe that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. So there's two musts. There's two musts. Must believe that God is, must believe that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Spoiler alert, both of these musts are focused on Him, Himself, His person. Are you following this? He didn't say must believe that He can, must believe that He will, must believe that He's able. No, must believe that He is. He's talking about His person. Over the years I've used, and it didn't originate with me, I don't know who said it first or whatever, but that's irrelevant. There's a difference between seeking the hand of God and the face of God. And the difference is when you only seek the hand of God is when you seek His help, His intervention, His, his um, you know, power and ability to fix something or do something in your life. But to seek the face of God is when you want to know Him personally and intimately. We see this in the Old Testament when it says that the children of Israel um, knew the acts of God, but Moses knew the ways. There, there was a deeper level of understanding on Moses' part because there was a deeper level of intimacy with God on Moses' part. We see this in the earthly ministry of Jesus. Did Jesus tell his disciples things that he didn't tell everybody else? Yes. And he called them friends. And he said, because, you, because I call you friends now... I'm, I'm going to reveal to you mysteries. I'm going to tell you things that I'm not telling everybody else. And I hope that you have people in your life that you're close enough to that, 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 that you can share details with that you wouldn't necessarily put on Facebook or tell everybody. Intimacy with God is how you hear and, and receive wisdom and understanding, even Him showing you things that haven't happened yet that are to come. Let's go back to it, though. There is a right way and a wrong way to come to God, and the next two phrases in this verse spell out the correct way for us. Now, I know some would say, well, there's more to it than all this. Well, okay, I, I would accept that, but it's kind of like, apart from faith, it's impossible to please Him. And if we don't get these two fundamental parts correct, then any other way that may be correct, if we do those to the exclusion of these, we're not coming correctly. 
Amen? Now, before we go any deeper into these two musts, let's examine the what and the why of coming to God. The what and the why of coming to God. So first of all, what is it? What does it mean to come to God? I think it's pretty obvious, but let's point it out nonetheless. Coming to God speaks of an intentional act. Coming to God is something someone chooses to do. Just like you chose to come to church tonight. It was an intentional act. It was something that that you decided to do. And there's something called opportunity cost in, in the study of economics. But the idea behind an opportunity cost is that by choosing to come here tonight, you at the same time chose not to do a whole bunch of other things. To take advantage of the opportunity to come and worship God and fellowship with God and worship with and fellowship with God's people, by taking advantage of that opportunity, you close the door on other opportunities to do other things. So coming to God is more than just an intentional act. Or I mean, it begins with that. It's something that we choose to do. But whether we realize it or not, the comer, the one who comes to God, um, are actually responding to an open-armed invitation already extended by God through His Son, Jesus. So coming to God doesn't mean you made the first move. Are you following me? You know, people say all the time, you know, I found God. Man, come on, wake up, sister. Wake up, brother. He found you before you ever knew His name. And, and of course, Matthew 11, we'll look at this passage in the days ahead, but 28, he, come to me, all you who labor are heavy laden. So he's invited us to come. He's opened his heart. He's opened his arms. He's, he's opened his, the, the, the treasures of kingdom, the, the mysteries hidden from the foundations of the world, and he's invited us to come. Come and drink freely. Come and, and, and drink from the waters of life. If you knew who it is, that said to you, give me drink, you would ask him for a drink, and he would give you waters that you would drink of and never thirst again. So the, the comer, the one who comes to God, whether realized in the moment or not, is responding to an open-armed invitation already extended by God to us through his son Jesus. So he that comes or goes to God, we can say it that way, go, you know, coming to God means you're, you're going in his direction. We make a choice to turn to Him, to reach out to Him, to open a door for Him, to turn away from other things and look to God. We could go on with this, but I think it was clear maybe even before we started. But this is what it means to come to God. Now, consider the implied why. Not what does it look like, but why do we come to God? Well, I think we could sum it up you know, with a lot of different answers and maybe not, inco- not cover them all. But when we look at in the Scriptures, we see that, you know, People came to God uh, looking for answers. We come to God looking for help. Um, we come to God for healing. We come to God for miracles. We come to God for breakthrough. We come to God for, for resolution, for what seems like unresolvable problems. We see uh, where, at least on two occasions, with the rich young ruler and then the scribes, that you know, they were coming to God for eternal life. They, they recognized that this was something that they couldn't go to the store and purchase, and, and, and no one else had access to that. If they were ever going to actually receive eternal life, they were going to have to get it from the source of, of life, from, from God Himself. So the simple point that I'm trying to make is that people come to God because they, they want Him and or the help that they think or believe He has and 
for him to do something for them. And if we're going to be honest about it, I mean, I'm not saying everybody has this attitude, but a lot of times, you know, it's the, it's the attitude that says all we have left to do now is pray. Which means what? We've already exhausted every other avenue. We've already tried everything and everybody else. And so now we're coming to God because, you know, he was not our, our first choice, but he's our final hope um, because we've, everything and everybody else has let us down. Okay? Now, I'm not necessarily saying that there's anything wrong with this motivation or what I'm calling the why behind coming to God, but it doesn't change the correct way to come. You understand what I mean by that? It doesn't change the correct way to come. The correct way to come is coming believing that He is. And it's coming believing that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him and not just His help. Months ago, we compared the touch of the woman with the issue of blood to the thronging of the crowd around Jesus. Anybody remember those sermons? The, 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 the woman touched the hem of his garment and Jesus said, your faith has made you whole. But in the course of that miracle unfolding, Jesus asked the disciples, they, he said, who touched me? And they almost thought it was a joke because we see in Scripture where people were constantly thronging Jesus, trying to get a hand on Him in hopes that, and we even see in some places that, that people, other people that we don't know their name or their situation, who, who did touch Jesus received healing from Him just by touching Him. We even see where the Apostle uh, Paul, was it? Shadow? Peter? Peter was the shadow, Paul was the garments, the, the, I think there were sweat rags taken from when he was building tents. Um, the, the shadow of Peter passing over people and, and they were healed. So this is not a, in other words, we have biblical um, precedent for things of this nature happening. But the only person that was healed that day was the woman who touched him compared to the countless numbers of people who thronged him. Now, watch this, because the woman with the issue of blood and the crowds thronging all came. He who comes to God, they all came. She came. They came. They came to Jesus. They came to Jesus. But she received when others didn't. Hmm. Now, some would want to say, well, you just never know what God's going to do. You just... No, this isn't, this isn't like, you know, some random act, some luck of the draw that, you know, it's every 343rd person that touches him, and she happened to be 343, and 342 is out of luck, and 344 is out of luck, but she was 343, Yahtzee. No, no, see, not, no. This, that's not how this works. Jesus... Jesus was not going to find this woman. Jesus had, had no intentions of knocking on her door. She came to him. But she came to him and others came to him. She was healed. They were not. Very easy for people to say, well, it was God's will for her to be healed. 
but not his will for the rest of them to be healed. I will not believe that for one second because we see on many occasions where there were large crowds of people after having sat there and listened to Jesus teach. It's a big thing right there because faith by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Can you imagine sitting and listening to Jesus teach? Somebody that was really leaning in and hearing and now after he teaches, he has a prayer line and the Bible says everybody that was there was healed. Everybody that was healed. So this idea that, you know, it's just random and you never know and it's, you know, just hopefully, you know, your time for your thing from your God and these kind of sermons. No, no. It has to be the way she came. It has, it has to be that she came, because without faith it's impossible to please him. Wishing and hope, wishing and hoping is not faith. Seeing if anything will happen is not faith. She was fully convinced. She was firmly persuaded in her heart that if she touched the hem of his garment, that's important right there. Because there was a process, be it unto you according to your faith, but it wasn't just if I could touch the hem of a priest's garment. It wasn't if I could just touch the hem of the high priest's garment. Are you, are you following what I'm saying here? Because... In uh, Malachi, it said that when the Messiah came, there would be healing in his wings, and, and, and the wings were the tassels on the garments. The point I'm trying to get you to see here is that her faith was not in the hem of his garment. Her faith was in the one who wore the garment. That he, that Jesus was her healer. Now, one last point, and, and we'll call it an evening, okay, for tonight anyway. John six twenty four through 29. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? You snuck off without us. Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set His seal on Him. Then they said to Him, I'm sorry, I didn't put any of those, screens, all those verses on the screen, did I? Then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom God has sent. You believe... Now, I'm not going to try to unravel this tonight, but there's a preposition here that I believe the King James does a better job with than the New King James. And that... That's the difference between believe in Him and believe on Him. Your work is to believe, New King James says believe in Him. King James says to believe on Him whom God has sent. There's a similar, there's a similar prepositional issue in uh, Matthew 11. And that is to learn from Jesus or to learn of Him. To learn from or to learn of. And 
the difference in both of these, I think, goes to intimacy. When Jesus said to learn of me, he then stated two key uh, qualities of his nature. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. So when he's saying learn, uh, see, you you can learn about somebody, you can learn from somebody, or you can learn of somebody. Guess which one your faith needs? Not about and from, but of. You need to learn of him. Because, see, you can learn about things. You can learn about somebody and never know them. Are you, are you following me? You, you can learn about somebody from, you can learn about Abraham Lincoln. And you can learn from Abraham Lincoln. He's, he's written some books. He's, you know, he's a great man. But to learn of somebody, there's a difference there. It's a big difference. And the same, with, the same difference, similar, not identically same, but, but related. Let's say, thank you, Holy Spirit. It's related is the difference between believing in versus believing on. See, remember, faith is always based upon something. Faith has a basis. Based on what? See, so now we're talking about believing on him, meaning where... <laughs> He, he becomes the, the, the basis for your faith. He becomes. He becomes the basis. Are you with me? More of that to come. Praise God. Let me try to land this plane. Did these people come? Yeah, they came. They might have the record for coming. I mean, they, they rode across the sea. Now, obviously, it was a corner. I'm not trying to act like it was, you know, some, you know, three-month journey. But they came to Jesus. From the outside looking in, these were some diligent seekers. But he that cometh to God must believe that he is and must believe that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. These people weren't seeking him. They came, but they came incorrectly. They came not because of the signs, Jesus said, not because of the signs, but because they ate the loaves and were filled. Why signs instead of miracles here? They didn't come because of the one to whom the miracle pointed. You seeing this? In other words, what should their attitude have been? Where is the one who could take a little boy's lunch and feed thousands of people? I've got to know more of him. I've got to have more of him in my life. I I need to find him and I need to get in his hip pocket and I need to know this one because there is no one on this earth more important, more um, capable of revealing to me. You see this, right? They They had no interest in bad English correct doctrine. They had no interest in who he is. Right. No, that wasn't their interest. And Jesus called them on it. Stand with me tonight. Watch this. Was he pleased? <laughs> Was he pleased? Not with them. Was it did Jesus go, Shazam? Tell me again. Hey, come over here. Tell them, tell them folks how, how many miles you rode just to get here this morning. Right? Jesus. <laughs> 
Hey, have you ever, guys, have y'all ever, I mean, we had some people travel some distances, but this is a first. Oh, what? You in the back? You had to rent a boat? Did you hear that? They rent a boat. My goodness, how many? You had 17 people in that little boat right there? This beats all I've ever, no, see, Jesus wasn't impressed at all with that. Why? It was apart from faith. Didn't please him at all. Didn't please him at all. He rebuked him for it. It's like, listen, you, you have worked so hard. And you're laboring just to get your belly full again. And have completely missed the prize here. The real prize is not another breakfast buffet. The real prize is the one whom God has sent. But you didn't come for him. You didn't come for him. Think about all the things in Christianity that people come to. We come to meetings, we come to dinners, we come to classes, we come to programs, we come to... I'm not, I'm not saying that's bad or wrong. Those things are in their right place, right? I mean, God tells us to come. He tells us not to forsake the assembly of ourselves together. But how much of all of that, right, is actually coming to Him? Is actually coming to Him? This may sound so simple, so insignificant, but I'm telling you, it's at the heart of a lot of people's weak and wavering faith. We're trying to believe He can, and we're trying to believe He will without, without first believing He is. Amen. You get anything out of this? All right, Father, thank You for loving us. Thank You for helping us. Thank You for opening our eyes, Lord, to these truths. Father, I thank you that, that we are seeking you. <laughs> we we want to know you. You're the prize. This is eternal life, that they may know God, that they may know you, Father, and the Son whom you have sent. This is eternal life. All these people who searched the Scriptures because they were looking for eternal life, and yet, Jesus, you said, but they won't come to you, that you might give it to them. Father, help us. Help us see these truths. Help us, Lord, understand that our confidence in what you have said must begin with our confidence in you. Lord, thank you for this beautiful group of faithful men and women. Lord, how, how my heart is encouraged when I see people who are willing to come out on a Wednesday night or so many other opportunities that they gave up in essence to accept this opportunity Lord, I'm, I'm sure there's people that are tired here that got up early worked all day still got clothes to put in the dryer when they get home and lunches to prepare all that stuff father but but lord they they came to you tonight lord they came to to receive from you and to and to please you our presence in this room, Father, tonight is, 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 is in response to our faith in God and it's an expression of our faith in you, Lord. And our hearts cries that it pleases you and that you're pleased with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Know that you're loved. Thank you for being here tonight. You have a great rest of your week and we will see you on Sunday morning, if not before. Have faith in God. Praise God.